Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. This is Basketball History 101 with Rick Loiza. Welcome back to Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network. I am your host, Rick Loiza, and this is the podcast where we bring to life some of the forgotten stories from basketball history. And today, we bring you the story of when Magic Johnson got his coach fired. It happened early in the 1981-82 season. The coach of the Lakers at the time was Paul Westhead. The short version of the story is that they disagreed on the offensive system that Westhead had put in that season, so Magic had him fired. Of course, the short story is almost never the complete story. For the complete story, we have to put context around the immediate events. Also, when something like this happens where a head coach and a superstar are at odds with each other, it is usually the culmination of events that have been simmering for months or even years. In other words, I want to share with you the events that led to Westhead getting fired. It all started two years earlier. The 1979-1980 season was not only Magic Johnson's rookie year, it was also the rookie season for head coach Jack McKinney. He had been an NBA assistant for five years with the Milwaukee Bucks and the Portland Trailblazers, but this was his first shot as a head coach in the NBA. The opportunity to coach a young star like Magic Johnson, along with all-star veterans like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Norm Nixon, and Jamal Wilkes, was just too much to pass up. This was a championship contending team from day one. By all accounts, McKinney was doing a great job. After 14 games, the team had a record of 10-4. The team was winning, the players were having fun, and the fast-break style of offense that McKinney wanted to run was getting better every night. The Lakers were beginning to run the other teams off the court. It was a great start to the season and things were really looking up. But then something happened. A bicycle accident. It was Saturday morning on November 10th, 1979. At that time of the year, most of the United States is well into fall. The color of the leaves are changing or even falling. Most people are now wearing sweaters or jackets to keep warm when going out. In some areas, they might have even had their first snow already. But in Southern California, it was still very nice and warm. It was an off day for the Lakers. They had beaten the Denver Nuggets in overtime the night before, and McKinney had given them the day off before they hosted the Cleveland Cavaliers the next day. With a little bit of time on their hands, the assistant coach, Paul Westhead, called McKinney to see if he wanted to play some tennis. McKinney said yes, and they lived relatively close to each other, so McKinney was going to ride his bike over to where Westhead lived. As McKinney was about halfway there, he was heading downhill and gaining some speed. He was approaching an intersection, so he squeezed the handbrakes to slow down. But something went wrong. The brakes locked up and McKinney went flying over the handlebars. He landed on the pavement head first and skidded down the street farther than anyone would have thought possible. In the meantime, Westhead waited and waited. Finally, he went home and got a call from McKinney's wife asking if Westhead had seen him. 
Then they immediately began calling all of the local hospitals and found out the one where McKinney was being prepped for surgery. McKinney had sustained a serious head injury. The doctors declared him out for the season and at the time, they were not even sure that McKinney would ever coach again. By the end of the day, Paul Westhead was the new head coach of the Los Angeles Lakers. Now, what I need to explain here is that it was also Westhead's first year in the NBA. He had been the head coach at LaSalle University in Philadelphia for the previous nine seasons, and he accepted the offer to be an assistant coach in the NBA from his good friend, Jack McKinney. Paul Westhead had only been an assistant coach in the NBA for 14 games before he became the head coach. And Westhead was different. Prior to becoming a coach, he was a professor of English literature at Dayton University, where he specialized in the works of Shakespeare. In fact, his thesis for his PhD was on Titus Andronicus. However, he had played Division I basketball at St. Joseph's University in Philadelphia, so he was not a complete stranger to basketball. While he was preparing another lesson plan for his English students, the athletic department called because they needed someone to coach the freshman basketball team. The freshman coach got promoted to the varsity team because the old varsity coach became ill and had to resign. So Westhead jumped at the chance to get into coaching. He was a natural teacher who loved basketball almost as much as he loved the English language. He did not stop teaching his regular classes. He still kept a full load of classes to teach, but that is how he got started. Then, with virtually no NBA experience, he finds himself the head coach of the first place Los Angeles Lakers. He also had an interesting communication style since he possessed an incredible command of the English language. Now, I'm just going to say this very plainly because there's really no way around this, but Westhead's vocabulary was so far above the average NBA player that the players often did not know what he was talking about. Now, I don't want to come off as being insulting toward players because the fact was that Westhead's vocabulary was far above the understanding of the average person. Basically, he liked using big words, but it came at a cost. He would sometimes sprinkle in a quote from Shakespeare when he was really trying to emphasize a point. You can imagine how well that went over with the players. Based on my research, there has only been one NBA player to earn his PhD in English literature, and that was Tom Meshery, who played for the Warriors in the 1960s. And by the way, I have done an entire episode on Tom Meshery. It is episode 17, in case you want to go check it out. It really is an incredible story of how his family escaped Russia and made their way to America through China. Anyway, now that Westhead was the new head coach, he had two decisions to make. First, he needed to hire his own assistant. See, back then, nearly every team only had two coaches, a head coach and one assistant coach. Westhead chose Pat Riley, who was already part of the Lakers organization as one of their radio and TV announcers. His second decision had to do with the Lakers style of play. On that front, he decided not to change anything. He considered this McKinney's team and out of his loyalty for his friend, he kept everything the same and ran McKinney's system. It is very hard to argue with the results. The Lakers won the championship that year. They defeated Dr. J and the Philadelphia 76ers four games to two to hoist the trophy. The season literally could not have gone any better from a team perspective. Going into his second season in 1980-81, the Lakers lost Magic Johnson due to a knee injury for 45 games. Magic tore some cartilage in his knee. It was tough on Magic to miss that many games. In his entire basketball career going back to fifth grade, he had never missed a single game. So this was mental torture for him. He had a very difficult rehab that he had to go to twice a day in order to return to the court as soon as possible. 
He was finally able to return in late February, but the team just could not gel the way they had the year before. Even though they had all of the key players back from the championship team, things were just not working. Magic was playing tentatively because of his knee, something he readily admits in his autobiography. They finished the season with a record of 54-28, and 28, which was still the fifth best record in the entire league. But in the end, they were knocked out of the playoffs in the first round by the Houston Rockets, who had a losing record of 40-42 and 42 that year. It was a terrible ending to what might have been a really great year. But with that early exit from the playoffs, Westhead decided that they needed to change the system. Even in that second season, Westhead was still running McKinney's system, but now it was time to run his own system. So at the beginning of training camp for the 81-82 season, Westhead told the players that they were going to run something different. He wanted to run something that was going to take advantage of their most reliable scorer, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. This was Kareem's 13th season in the NBA, but he was still a very dominant and efficient force in the post. Westhead wanted to ride Kareem's skyhook for all it was worth. The new offense was going to be a slow-it-down, half-court offense. Whenever the Lakers got the defensive rebound, they were instructed to walk the ball up the court. No more fast breaks. By walking it up the court, it gave Kareem the time he needed to get down court and into the low post. The other four players were positioning themselves around the perimeter with virtually no player movement. They were to simply dump the ball into Kareem and let him score with his patented sky hook. On paper, it sounds like a good idea because Kareem was still that good, but to tell Magic Johnson not to run the fast break when he was arguably the best leader of the fast break in basketball history, it just seemed short-sighted. They lost the season opener to a far inferior Houston Rockets. They were up by 19 at one point and then let the game get away from them. They also lost their second game to the Trailblazers. This was simply not working. The players were getting frustrated but the coach was not taking advantage of their ability to run other teams off the court. Running the fast break does not mean you ignore Kareem. It means that if the break is not there, then you go into your half-court set and feed Kareem. In other words, use all of your team's skills, not just one. The only player on the team that seemed to be happy was Kareem because the entire offense was based on giving him the ball. And it all came to a head in their 11th game of the season, which was played in Utah. It was a close game and West had called a timeout to talk to the team and Magic had had enough and was not even paying attention to Westhead and Westhead called him out on it. They argued loudly with each other right in front of the team. The Lakers won the game, but Westhead knew that he and Magic were going to have to air their grievances and it could not wait until they got back to LA. After the game, he pulled Magic into an equipment room. Westhead said that he was tired of Magic's attitude and that Magic would need to start listening to Westhead or else Magic was not going to play. Now remember, Magic was in his third year. He was still only 22 years old. Magic's response was that, that maybe the Lakers didn't need him. Magic said that anybody in the league could walk the ball up the court and dump it into Kareem. Magic said the words that no coach wants to hear from his superstar. He said that the Lakers should trade him to another team. They resolved nothing, but decided to go back into the locker room. And the other players could tell that something was going on. Magic told the rest of the team that he was going to ask the owner for a trade. He wanted to go to a team where his skills could be best utilized. 
Stuff like this happens from time to time on NBA teams ever since the league began. Sometimes players are unhappy about the way the coach uses them, but in most cases these kinds of incidents are handled internally and the public never finds out about them. There was still an unwritten rule that publicly you support each other and handle your business behind closed doors. There was no reason that the public needed to know about any of the team's dirty laundry. But that rule would be broken that day. Right after Magic's announcement to his teammates, the press was allowed into the locker room and they made a beeline for Magic's locker. The press saw Magic and Westhead arguing during that timeout and they wanted to find out what was said and what was going on. So Magic broke the unwritten rule. He said to the press, quote, I can't play here anymore. I've got to leave. I want to be traded. It's nothing toward the guys. I love them, but I'm not happy. I'm just showing up. I play as hard as I can, but I'm not having any fun, unquote. The press asked if Westhead was the reason that he wanted out of LA, and Magic said yes. The thing that was weird was the timing, because the Lakers had just won five games in a row, but they were all close games. They won those five games by a margin of two points, four points, one point, one point, and three points. These were teams that the Lakers should have been dominating, but the new offense would not allow them to get a big enough lead to put teams away early. The Lakers flew home to LA the following morning and waiting for them at the airport was every newspaper and TV station in Southern California. It was the lead story in every LA newspaper. Now this was not the sports section lead, this was front page news. Magic Johnson wanted to be traded. It did not help that just a month earlier, the public found out that Magic Johnson had signed the largest contract in NBA history at the time. It was worth $25 million over 25 years. That contract made Magic a Laker for life. At the time, no other contract in the league was even in the same area code as Magic's contract. Not Kareem's, not Dr. J's, not Moses Malone's. This contract dwarfed anything that came before it. Magic was only 22 years old when he signed it. He became the poster boy for spoiled young athletes. And now he was demanding a trade because he did not like the coach's system. When Magic was surrounded by those reporters at the airport, he gave no comment. Magic knew that he had to go and speak with Jerry Buss, the Lakers owner, and Jerry West, the general manager. What Magic did not know was that Jerry Buss had already been considering Westhead's termination. Buss did not like what he saw any more than the players did. Buss also knew that the Lakers should be dominating these teams. Instead, they were barely beating mediocre teams. And Jerry West agreed that a change was necessary. They just had to figure out the timing. Well, Magic's announcement forced that timing to speed up. So, during that meeting, Dr. Buss and Jerry West told Magic that he was not going anywhere. The Lakers announced later that same day that Paul Westhead had been fired. This was a field day for TV reporters who had their lead story for the 6 o'clock news. The timing of the whole thing did no favors for Magic Johnson. Within 24 hours of announcing that he wanted to be traded, his coach was fired. This was a public relations nightmare for the Lakers. How could a 22-year-old player, no matter how good, wield the kind of power necessary to get a championship coach fired? In what universe does a kid no older than a college graduate fire his own boss? But with that decision, the Lakers entered the Pat Riley era. Now this is a good place to take a break, and I'll be right back as I share the fallout from that decision to fire Paul Westhead.
This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Welcome back to the show, and let us keep going with the story of how Magic Johnson got his coach fired. We left off with Paul Westhead's firing and the start of the Pat Riley era. Now, the players liked Pat Riley. He had been an assistant for two years and had a good relationship with all of the players. Riley was also a former NBA player, unlike Westhead. Riley was a part of the 1972 Lakers championship team. Riley was part of the fraternity. He had been in their shoes and he knew what it was like to be an NBA player. With his blue collar upbringing, Riley spoke plainly and clearly. He was a little tentative at first, but he quickly grew into his role as coach. He was young and he had a lot of energy. He was only two years older than Kareem and he had less than 24 hours to prepare for his first game as the head coach. He told the team that they were going to go back to running the fast break. He wanted the Lakers to run other teams off the floor, and they were ready. What they were not ready for was the reception that Magic received that night. It was a home game against the San Antonio Spurs, and the home crowd booed Magic when he was announced. He had never heard that in his life. I mean, he had heard booing before, but it was always from the opponent's crowd, and he took that as a badge of honor. That meant that he was destroying the other team, and their fans didn't like it. But he had never in his life been booed by his own fans. The fans were letting him know how wrong they thought he was to get his coach fired. Obviously, you all know me as a basketball fan and historian, but I have to be open with you all. I do not watch just basketball. I watch American football, international football or soccer, baseball, MMA, and just about every sport under the sun. One thing I have observed after nearly 40 years of watching sports is that winning heals all wounds. By the second quarter of that game under Pat Riley, the fans once again were cheering for Magic as he was running the fast break to perfection and blowing out the San Antonio Spurs. Showtime was back. Under Riley's leadership, the Lakers finished the regular season with the best record in the Western Conference. In Riley's very first season as head coach, the Lakers won the eighth championship in franchise history. They were once again at the top of the mountain. Looking back years later, Magic admits that he handled the situation poorly. He says that he never should have taken his opinions to the public and he should have kept the matter internal and talked to Jerry Buss and Jerry West privately and then let the team make any necessary announcements. Of course, hindsight is always 2020. As for Jack McKinney, well, he recovered quite well. In fact, he recovered better than expected. He was well enough to take over the head coaching role with the Indiana Pacers just one year after his injury. He coached them for four years, but the team kept getting progressively worse and he was fired. He coached one final season with the Kansas City Kings, but only made it through nine games before he resigned and walked away from coaching altogether. Paul Westhead also bounced back after his firing and was hired as the coach of the Chicago Bulls the following season, but he only stayed one year and was fired again. And then he returned to coaching in college, where he adopted a new playing style. He took over as head coach of Loyola Marymount University in LA back in 1985 and played a run-and-gun style of basketball that required his team to shoot the ball within five seconds of taking possession. Loyola Marymount was one of the fastest college teams anyone had ever seen. He even led them to a deep run in the NCAA tournament in 1990. Now that led to another shot at the NBA where he was hired as the new coach of the Denver Nuggets and he ran his run and gun style with those Nuggets. 
The Nuggets scored 158 points in their very first game under Westhead, but still lost by four points. They scored 140 or more points seven times that season and only winning two of those games. They were scoring by the boatload, but their defense was absolutely dreadful. He spent the rest of his career as either an assistant in the NBA or a head coach in college. But he never won another championship after 1980 when he won with the Lakers. As for Magic, do I really need to say more? He won three more championships, three MVP awards, a gold medal with the Dream Team, and is now in the Hall of Fame. If you have been a loyal listener to this show, then you know that I bleed purple and gold. Magic Johnson has always been my favorite player of all time, but I also hope that I do not ever sugarcoat anything. If the Lakers make a bad move or do something negative, I will call it out. That is part of what this story is. It was not Magic's best moment. He even admits that. He was immature and handled a bad situation very poorly. Now, thankfully, he learned from it. So, there you have it. That was the story of when Magic Johnson got his coach fired. Join us next time when we share the story of when the NBA's color barrier was broken back in 1950. That's next time on Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com to find out more about this and other sports history podcasts. If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. Also, go ahead and give us a rating and a review, and that will help others to find this podcast more easily. And check out our page on Facebook. It's called Basketball History 101 Podcast. There you will find shorter historical posts, as well as comments and discussion starters on today's game. I'll also announce there when new episodes come out. I want to thank my producer and editor, Jacob Loiza. Join us each week as we continue to mine the history of basketball for more great stories from the past. Take care and see you soon. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. This is Mark Mortier, and if you're a sports history fan like me, tune in and hear me talk about some great sports moments of the past. Growing up during the 1970s, I got to watch some of the most iconic moments in sports history. Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Willis Reed limping out of the locker room in Game 7 of the NBA Finals at Madison Square Garden as the fans erupted with a thunderous ovation. The 1980 Miracle on Ice as Team USA defeated the powerful Soviet Union in the Olympics. Listen every Tuesday on Yesterday Sports. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.